Kia ora. This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Welcome to the Alcoholics Anonymous meeting on air. My name is Victoria. I'm an alcoholic and chairperson for today's meeting. (laughs) Uh, We open AA meetings with the serenity prayer and I invite you to join me. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. This meeting also starts with the AA preamble, which goes as such. Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of people who share their experience, strength and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We're self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organisation or institution does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. Uh, Right, so today we have the Thorndon Wednesday Night Steps and Traditions meeting in the building. Is that correct? Have I got the name right? Awesome. Um, So, yeah, so they're they're here to share their experience, strength, and hope with us today. Um, And we're going to kick off with a reading, so I'll ask Margaret to share. Um, Hi, my name's Margaret, and I'm an alcoholic. Um, I'm actually going to read something which is called The Daily Reflections, and it's it's a book of reflections for AA members for AA members, and today is... April the 9th, and the heading is Freedom from King Alcohol. Let us not suppose, even for an instant, that we are not under constraint. Our former tyrant, King Alcohol, always stands ready again to clutch us to him. Therefore, freedom from alcohol is the great must that has to be achieved, else we go mad or die. It's from As Bill Sees at page 134. When drinking, I lived in spiritual, emotional, and sometimes physical confinement. I had constructed my prison with bars of self-will and self-indulgence from which I could not escape. Occasional dry spells that seemed to promise freedom would turn out to be little more than hopes of a reprieve. True escape required a willingness to follow whatever right actions we needed to turn the lock. With that willingness and action, both the lock and the bars themselves opened for me. Continued willingness and action keep me free in a kind of extended daily probation that need never end um, yeah so I sort of just read that because it's something to focus on in, in our sharing today um, and I guess that king alcohol you know uh, that's exactly what it was like for me although I didn't know that word when I was drinking of course um, didn't know any of that when I was drinking but what I liked here is, is I lived in a spiritual emotional and physical confinement um, and that's exactly what it was Uh, drinking was um, incredibly hard work for me I did it for 30 years Um, started off as fun and then to be perfectly honest near the end probably the last 10 years ended up um, hopeless I became that daily drinker where I just um, the king alcohol as they say um, 
I couldn't help but not drink. I had to drink. You know, I needed to drink to to live. I needed to drink to be able to cope with everyday life. Uh, and I always would think, uh, you know, please don't let me drink today. Please don't let me drink today. And then three o'clock would come or two, and I'd think I'll just have one. I'll just have one drink. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> never stayed at one. You know, I thought, well, perhaps two or three would be okay, but I'll stop at three. And it never did, you know. Um, it just took over my whole well-being, and and I had to continue to drink uh, until I could no longer remember what I was doing. Um, and I'd have these blackouts, but of course I didn't know that that's what they were called at the time. Uh, until I came into AA, I would drink, and then I would lose moments of what I've done, what I've said, uh, and I'd wake up in the morning with that absolute uh, terror, absolute terror in my. Um, head thinking, who have I hurt? What have I said? What have I done? Where have I hid the bottles? And then, after I had the remorse, I would then think, oh, hang on, where can I buy the alcohol? When can I drink it? And where can I hide it? So, um, alcohol was my entire life. And uh, I guess I got to 47 and thought, I can't do this anymore. Uh, I, I just can't do it. You know, physically, mentally, uh, I was exhausted. And it was suggested that I went to AA and. I didn't sort of think, oh, that's a good idea. I thought, God, that's where my life's gone. You know, I'm 47, and I have to sit in a room of, of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I thought I was doomed, absolutely doomed. Um, and I walked in and hated it, you know, I've got to be honest. I hated walking in there and seeing the banners and everyone being friendly and nice, and I thought, God, it's a cult. Um, look, goody, look where I've ended up. Uh, but what I found is the people started sharing and they shared how I felt. Not necessarily my story, but they shared how um, I felt on the inside. I thought, these people um, seem to know what I'm thinking because nobody um, understood my drinking, nobody understood my thinking, but here's a bunch of people who I have no idea who they are who are sharing how I felt. And um, I thought, that's interesting. And so, you know, I went back basically on that basis I still hated it, but I went back because I didn't really have another choice. And, um, you know, time went on and I struggled uh, for the first couple of years in AA, but I didn't pick up a drink. And um, so what happened is, you know, one day at a time, I didn't drink. And then I I worked the steps, which they call the 12 steps in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I started working through those and my life started to change. And once I started going through those steps, I um, that desire to drink uh, was taken away from me. So, you know, what that means for me is that I don't wake up in the morning thinking, where can I buy it, where can I hide it, and when can I drink it? Um, I don't think about it. It's actually gone, and to me, I find that um, an absolute miracle because all I did for 30 years was uh, drink, 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 uh, think, think, think uh, about drinking. And I don't do that today. You know, I can... I can live life um, as a basically pretty much normal person, sort of. Uh, I continue to go to AA not because uh, of the alcohol side. I continue to come to AA because it has a way of living that I need to follow what they call the 12 steps. I need to follow those in my everyday life. Um, I put them into my life and just for everyday life, for going to work, well, you know, home, friends, family. I use all of those to to be able to live as a, I guess what we often call as a normal person because um, I don't think like a normal person and you know it talks about that king alcohol and it's a tyrant and you know that that's exactly what it is. Um, it just engulfed everything about me and it, uh, you know, I could not stop drinking on my own 
at all. Um, and if I could, and if all of us could, none of us would be sitting in AA. But we, you know, as alcoholics, we can't. We can't stop drinking on our own. Um, I could stop sometimes for a short period, but what I could never do is I could stop for a bit, but I could never stay stopped. And that's the difference, you know. But in Alcoholics Anonymous, I can stay stopped one day at a time if I come to meetings, um, you know, I pass the message on by sponsorship and I keep in touch with um, Alcoholics Anonymous. So it's actually, it's saved my life. Um, it's saved my family's life. This is a family disease. It doesn't just affect the person that's drinking. It affects your immediate family and it affects your friends. It affects your work life. It affects every aspect and uh we don't realise, and I didn't realise, how much uh, how much harm that I did in my drinking, not to myself but to other people. But um, I realise that now by going through the 12 steps and working working on them. So um, I'm grateful to be sober, and, yeah, that's me. Thank you. Oh, lovely. Thanks, Margaret. Um, Mandy, would you like to share? Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, hi. I'm Mandy, alcoholic. Yeah, lovely to be here on a Saturday morning without a hangover. I sort of uh, wake up. I don't just come to after being unconscious from the night before, you know, where I'd passed out. Um, Yeah, that reading about King Alcohol, you know, it became my master and I used it as often as I could on a daily basis to get as far away from myself as I possibly could. You know, I just didn't want to be me. I didn't want to feel, I didn't want to think, I didn't want to function. And alcohol worked because it just took away everything, took away the pain, it took away everything. You know, I was a restless, irritable and discontent person before I picked up a drink and it gave me that sense of ease and comfort uh, straight away and my perception of reality changed from I actually feel in control drinking, I don't feel out of control and I'm not going to stop and um, I just would continue and um, continue way over the mark that I was trying to achieve that night and my behaviour became quickly out of control uh, destructive dangerous um, Yeah, my moral compass just went out the window and I didn't know what I was waking up to. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know if I'd be in Waikanae or Waiheke Island. I didn't know if there was a hairy arm or a smooth arm lying next to me. This was not my wallpaper. Um, It was just chaotic and out of control and I loved it. And I continued to pursue that for 17 years. I was a travelling drunk, so I started in... In my hometown in Paurua, and then it went off. I went off to Auckland when I was 16. Then I was over at Melbourne for a while. Then I was in London. Then I'm riding a camel in Egypt, and then I'm doing Ramadan with a uh, Algerian overstaying porter in Holloway Road. I was just so far removed from who I was, you know, a middle-class white chick from the burbs, and I think I'm um, a Muslim. And I don't even look like one. But that's where my drinking takes me. And I've got a couple of different passports. I used my friend's name instead of my own name because I thought it was a bit, not, it was a bit more sort of cooler. 
and um, I went by the name of Fenella for quite a few years. And, yeah, just that's kind of a snapshot of the chaotic chaos that alcohol, you know, was in my life. And I, you know, ended up back in New Zealand, burnt out, you know, just a mess, just an absolute mess with a backpack full of old clothes and people saying to me, fuck, you know, what are you doing with your life? And I'm like, nothing, nothing, you know, when are you going to get it together? Well, not today. You know, I'm living in a bedroom, putting cigarettes out on the carpet. I can't answer the phone. I can't get to the letterbox. And I just want to be left alone. You know, that isolation and loneliness of the alcoholic and the despair and just what the hell is wrong with me? I don't know what's wrong with me. I didn't know I was an alcoholic. I'd gone to psychiatrists, psychologists, bark flower remedies, flotation tanks. I'd done lots of things to try and work out maybe what was wrong with me. I remember a psychologist taking me back to when I was five years old and I thought, oh, maybe it was some weird uncle that came into my bedroom and that's kick-started everything. No, nothing. I had a good childhood. And anyway, so I end up in AA and I don't want to be here and it talks in that reading about emotional and spiritual bankruptcy and that's how I felt. I thought physically I could keep going. I thought, oh, I can do with the bumps, the bruises, the black eyes, the fat lips. That's fine. I can keep going. I'll just keep drinking. That's not happening to me. It was the emotional and spiritual bankruptcy of being completely disconnected from society, from my family, from my friends, just an e- on the edge of the wedge and wanting someone to love and understand me and yet unable to stop drinking, unable to connect with people, move them around like pieces of furniture, you know, that I have no attachment to. And so that's really what brought me to my knees was that sort of um, uh, hole in the soul, whatever you like to call it, you know, the God-shaped hole, just not connected to anyone because the disease is about disconnection and recovery is about connection. And so that kind of started my journey. And, you know, it's been a roller coaster ride. I've really had to put my safety belt on because I just don't know what's happening next. And it's, you know, I've had massive successes and then I've had absolute failures. And no matter what, you know, whether my ass falls off, I bring it to a meeting, or whether it turns to gold, I bring it to a meeting. You know, I can't, I can't drink no matter what. And that's the bottom line for me, I just don't want to pick up that first drink because I can't guarantee my actions. So some days I'm not spiritually and emotionally well and I'm just physically sober and that's okay. I haven't put anything you know, physically in my body to kickstart that allergy. So today I'd rather bend my knees and bend my elbow and get drunk. So I'm grateful to be here and it's lovely to be with my home group. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you, Mandy. Um, just a reminder, you're listening to Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM, um, and this is um, this is the Wellington um, Alcoholics Anonymous meeting on air. If you or someone you know would like to get in contact with AA, you can find us at alcoholicsanonymous.org.nz. There you can find meetings lists for the whole country, um, so you can have a look at um, where to go. Uh, there's also the 0800 number, 0800 AA Works, 0800 229 There is a sober alcoholic on the other end of the line 24-7, um, so you can also call that um, to get some more information. And now I'll ask Anne to share. Hi, Anne. 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 Hi, An
Thanks, Victoria. Thanks, everyone. Uh, lovely to be at a meeting. My name's Anne. I'm an alcoholic. Hi, And uh, say that word. It's a very, it's a strange thing to find myself saying because I, I spent quite a long time uh, while drinking, probably confirming to myself on a daily basis that I couldn't possibly be an alcoholic. And, uh, you know, I'd, uh, I'd <laughs> drive past the bottle store, uh, you know, crash on the brakes, go, and I'd sit in the car sometimes. This is a daily activity, buying the wine for the evening. And I'd, um, I'd watch people come out, and if somebody came out with two bottles in brown paper bags, one in each hand, I'd go, mm, probably an alcoholic. And then I'd go in, and I'd, I'd, I was drinking because I was a connoisseur. I was drinking because, actually, I really it, good wine was essential to good life. And I'd come out with a carton, and I'd have it in the back of the car, and then some would go into my studio, and some would go here, and some would go there. And then as soon as possible, that would be open. And my husband would uh, run towards me with a glass of water and say, drink this. Uh, you must be thirsty. And I'd shove that to one side, and I would gulp. That first glass of wine, and you know, it was like he could see it as a thirst, and for me, it was a thirst. It was a kind of a I needed it, and uh, <clears throat> but the denial is a, a very strange thing. You know, alcoholism crept up on me. It was, uh, you know, I've, all, you know, it was a, I was always a social drinker, uh, a heavy social drinker, a heavy daily social drinker, and it eventually became a heavy social and secret drinker because I liked drinking on my own actually I could no one would bother me no one would rush up with glasses of water tell me I haven't you had enough uh, when I just wanted to be alone <laughs> and you know what others have described is this real underlying condition of alcoholism which is this kind of aloneness you know and you know to admit uh, actually the the kind of interior space that I had become, you know, I, I just did not understand the kind of irrational outbursts of anger, the frustration, the depression, the blackness that somehow can sometimes consume me. And there's a, um, you know, there's a, a saying in AA that always makes me smile because it's, you know, pour me, pour me, pour me a drink, you know, and that, that was the kind of comfort and ease that I sought, that I could not find with my own resources inside. And, you know, when I came to AA, you know, I, um, it was really, I'd been saying for days, months, weeks, actually, that, oh, perhaps, perhaps I need to do something about this. You know, and that was waking up in the morning with my tongue stuck to the roof of my mouth, having gone to bed, you know, uh, knowing that for the two hours before I went to bed that I really had better not say anything because I couldn't, Run! I could not speak a word without slurring it, um, so that I knew I was drunk, but I didn't want anyone to know. And uh, so those sort of I knew that was um, I knew that was sick. And uh, yeah, so you know that decision to go to AA was really you know the best thing. Well, I was I couldn't do anything else actually uh, because I absolutely knew that those daily. The, the daily catch cry, or well, I won't drink today, was uh, a waste of time. A switch would flick at around about 11, 12, sometimes 2. We're just, oh, tomorrow, I won't have a drink tomorrow. Simple as that. And then, phew, you know, so as early as possible, I would begin drinking. Generally, I could get to 
well, you know, six o'clock. Anyone who drinks before six o'clock has got a bit of a problem. So, you know, four o'clock was, was pretty okay. It was quite close to six o'clock. Um, you know, so the denial of the the and the denial of the way that it kind of increases slow. It's called a kind of slow progressive progressive development of dependence. And I did not want to be dependent on alcohol. And I really, you know, I could feel it seeping into kind of every aspect of my life. You know, the irrational outburst of anger at staff functions. You know, the endless need to be a walking apology for what I had done the day before or what I'd said to someone. And, you know, it took me into this sort of place of it isolation. You know, I think of the kind of primary characteristic of my feeling or my being in the grips of alcoholism. It was isolated, lonely, and kind of confused. And when I went to AA, you know, I, I, I didn't go to say, here, my name's Anne and I'm an alcoholic. I'm going, what? I went because I had absolutely no choice and I did not want to drink and I could not stop on my own. And what I found was really, I look back and I, I was nervous. I didn't want, you know, I, I just didn't feel comfortable really with my truth. And I heard, you know, I heard my story and I heard, what I heard though was recovery. I saw people with bright eyes, laughing, with a kind of sense of humour about themselves that really attracted me. And uh, so I, you know, I was there. I was not going to do this in, you know, I don't think anything in my life I've done in a half-hearted way. I thought, right, I'm here. And, you know, for the first time in my life, I, I, I started to do what other people suggested. I'd given up. I did not know what to do. Someone said, take the cotton wool out of your ears and put it in your mouth. And I did. I listened. And I started to hear really, you know, what to do. Uh, get to meetings, which I did. Uh, get a sponsor. Someone who you can see has recovery and is working in their lives and ask them how they did it. Work with another alcoholic. And uh, all of these things that I've, I've done. And, you know, this program, as you know, others have said, it is, it's an inside job. You know, I had the the kind of all those characteristics, that sort of sense of physical bankruptcy. I had absolutely no control. Uh, mental, you know, uh, torture often, emotional, um, emotional kind of chaos and spiritual bankruptcy. And it was the kind of spiritual bankruptcy that got me. You know, this sort of hole inside, that this sort of black hole of discontent, of loneliness. And uh, working the 12-step program is a kind of a journey into a new way of living, uh, and which I have completely, uh, I absolutely know this works. And, you know, today, I, you know, I think 12-step program took me on a journey to discover the me that's really me. It doesn't depend on what other people think. It's just the person that I am, the flawed, lovely, funny, silly human being that is just trucking on one day after another, having a really, really great life. And, you know, I am incredibly grateful to Alcoholics Anonymous, to the other people who have shared their stories and their journey with me, my sponsor who helped me work through the steps, and sponsees who I work with. So I I just, it's a real privilege to be here, and thanks everyone for being on this journey with me. 
Thanks, Anne. Um, and Daniel, would you like to share? Hi, my name's Daniel, and I'm an alcoholic. And um, good to be here. And um, uh, my story is I drank for 30 years, and 10 of those 30 years were fun and social. 10 of those years were difficult, and 10 of them were absolute hell that I would never want to, 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 to repeat. Um, so in my case, the development of the disease of alcoholism was a gradual one. Um, and one of my first sort of warnings, but I didn't really take it as a warning, was towards the end of the, f of the first 10 years of social drinking, uh, I was um, asked to go uh, overseas and work, and uh, I went to work in Dubai, which in those days um, had one traffic light, and um, I got myself a nice beach house in Jumeirah, which is overlooking what is now Palm Island, and I thought I'd landed in heaven. New wife, away we went. Uh, and we had a beautiful contractor's club, and it was great, so we worked hard. We played hard, uh, but there was a next-door neighbour of mine there, and um, his day consisted of waking up at about four o'clock in the morning with the sweats and the shakes, unable to connect with the world. He'd be the first one in the office, and the reason he wanted to get in the office first before anybody else is he wanted to get into his office, get into the right-hand drawer of his desk so he could get a nice bottle of gin and get glug, glug a load of that down him to stop the sweats and the shakes. And then he'd be up around town as well um, during the course of the morning and he'd be the first one up at the contractor's <coughs> club at lunchtime and he'd be straight into the big gin lime sodas. And um, then after the office finished, he'd be the first one up again at four o'clock. We'd arrive about maybe half four, quarters, quarter five, and um, he'd be into the gin lime sodas. And this... this, this um, this contractors club there's this beautiful um, panoramic window out onto the gulf and you could watch the sunset and we had persuaded this man who was probably about 45 but looked about 65 um, that um, we persuaded him that the uh, that there was a green flash before the sun went down in that part of the world and uh, we used to urge him to steady up on his uh, gin lime sodas otherwise he'd miss the green flash when the sun went down well, he never saw the green flash. He always passed out first. The stewards at the club would pick him up, take him down to his car, throw him in the back of the car where his ever-loving wife was there to greet him, and she'd take him home and he'd go to bed and that would be him done until four o'clock the next morning. And I remember at, the same, at that time saying to myself, shit, I hope that never happens to me. But if I roll the camera forward about 20 and a bit years... And that's pretty much exactly where I ended up, except the wife had long gone by then. Uh, so the pattern was um, that uh, I continued uh, daily drinking, uh, but um, hadn't lost control at that sense in, at that time. Um, over time, uh, that daily drinking um, became uh, very, very habitual. And I began to start to behave unpredictably. I could not be relied upon. Um, I wouldn't turn up to where I was supposed to be because I'd be too hungover from the night before. Um, and I was just totally unreliable. 
Now that was what I call the 10 years of difficulty. Um, I got a very severe um, drink drive charge and uh, I lost my licence for four years and at that time I was responsible for a lot of work around the UK and I became an expert on the British Rail timetable. Um, and, um, but it didn't stop me drinking. But what it did do, which was really interesting, is it stopped me drinking and driving. In other words, I drank and didn't drive, or I drove and didn't drink. But it didn't, stop, it didn't, it didn't arrest my, 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 my alcoholic... My, well, I didn't know it was alcoholic behaviour then, but my, what I now know is alcoholic behaviour. Um, and over time, that then developed into um, another phase, which was the 10 years of hell. Um, and during that particular phase, not only was I daily drinking, not only was I totally and utterly unreliable, but I had then started to uh, go into benders, and I'd drink for three, four, five days, 24 hours a day, uh, without stopping. And then the the withdrawals at the end of that were absolutely horrendous and I had to have uh, diazepam or whatever else to, to try and deal with that and like Margaret has shared um, I swore off it immediately but then within 24 hours uh, I was back into the phase of well maybe it'll be different this time and of course it never was um, anyway these, um, these periods went on and on and on uh, and um, I, I managed by the skin of my teeth not to lose my job um, but what happened was that um, I remember coming round after one of these benders and um, I looked at my watch and it was 2 o'clock and I didn't know whether it was 2 o'clock in the morning or 2 o'clock in the afternoon now that of, an, of itself was not surprising that had happened before but what was um, uh, what did happen was that at that very moment I had what we often call in alcoholics the gift of despair I realised for the first time that either that I, I could not live with alcohol and I couldn't live without it either. Now, that realisation meant one thing. It meant I had a choice to make. And the choice was either I had to find a way to get sober or I had to top myself because I couldn't carry on the way I was. And I went to see a doctor uh, up at um, Stockport Area Health Authority. She was a fund holder for the alcohol and drugs treatment she took one look at me and she said, Daniel, I think you should go into treatment. And if she'd said to me, Daniel, I think you should go to the moon, I'd have asked her when the first rocket was because I didn't have any answers. She got me into a treatment centre down at the bottom end of the UK and um, in Western Supermare uh, called Broadway Lodge. And um, um, in, in that place I was introduced to the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and I remember after about three or four weeks sitting bolt upright in the bed one morning at six o'clock and suddenly realising that I hadn't thought about a drink the day before. And I thought, wow, because that hadn't happened for 30 years. And I thought, well, this was my step of hope because I thought if it was possible not to think about a drink for one day, it might be possible not to think about a drink for more than one day. And that was the beginning of my recovery because I didn't understand how the program of Alcoholics Anonymous was working 
but I did know that it was working because I couldn't explain other, uh, uh, otherwise how this had started to happen. So I, I pretty much um, became a, 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 an apostle for, um, for the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I have tried to put the principles espoused in those steps into my life, and um, that has. And, and, and what I what I kind of now realise and understand is that the issue, the, the problem was not stopping drinking. That's easy. The problem was stopping starting again, and the reason I couldn't stop starting again was because I was, as it's described in the doctor's opinion in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, I was irritable, discontent and restless, full of remorse, full of self-pity, full of um, me, 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 and full of um, uh, blaming everybody else for the situation that I found myself in. So I had, and, and, to, and the only way to take that feeling away was to drink. Uh, so that was why I couldn't stop starting again. But what the program of Alcoholics Anonymous has taught me is that it is possible to change attitudes and behaviours. And I changed my attitudes and my behaviours. And the reason I did so was that the price of not doing so was death at some point in the process. And so I had a pretty, pretty big incentive to change my behaviours and my attitudes. Uh, but through working the programme, I have managed to uh, change my behaviours and my attitudes. Um, the, the, uh, and, and, and provided that I, I continue to be mindful of the needs to practise those principles, then I don't have a problem. And what's happened now is that I can pretty much sense when I'm going a little bit off the rails and I need to, I need to make an adjustment and I need to seek help and I need to talk to another alcoholic because that's what keeping sober is all about in many respects is one alcoholic talking to another alcoholic and, um, and, and, and that is a very important part of my recovery. I go to meetings of AA on a regular basis. I, I, I don't go, um, I, I go to one or two a week these days. I used to go to about six or seven when I first got sober. Um, but the main reason I go now is because, um, well, and, 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 and the, my home group is, a, is, is a, a, lit, a literature home group, but the main reason I go now is that it, it confirms that I'm not alone, uh, that there are other people who, uh, who have the same uh, issue and collectively we support each other and um, I've made a lot of lifelong friends in Alcoholics Anonymous and um, I think I'm coming to the end of my time now, Victoria, is that right? Oh, you can keep going. I can keep going, can I? <laughs> All right, well, um, and, uh, and so what I've also found that it's been very rewarding uh, to... Um, to help other alcoholics to recover from 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 alcoholism, um, I have sponsored a number of people through the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, but I also, uh, with some other people, we go and talk to um, uh, people who are either suffering from it uh, in the form of um, uh, attending a treatment centre and try and share our journey uh, and to, 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 to show them that it is possible to recover from, 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 from alcoholism. Um, 
And uh, one of the most rewarding things that we do, and I do or participate in, is um, on a monthly basis we go and talk to uh, a number of medical students at Otago University uh, who are in their fourth year, and they ask some really searching questions about alcoholism and AA, and it's, um, it's very interesting to, 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 uh, to listen to what they have to say. And why do we do that? Because, you know, we just want to sort of sow a seed that when they become GPs, if that's what they become, uh, they might just remember that there was this thing called AA and they might use it as a suggestion for other people to get help. Um, uh, but, but this programme of AA is not something that I would ever have contemplated doing unless my life depended on it. Because, and I certainly couldn't have contemplated doing it whilst I was still drinking because it just... It just, it just, it just couldn't be. I did try during the period of my. I suppose it was yes, it was actually during the period of of my um, ten years of difficulty. I tried to 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 go to a controlled drinking program where you're supposed to, you know, record the number of points that you have. But of course, what I didn't know then, which I know now, is that I'd already lost control of my drinking and therefore I couldn't get it back. And they were really nice people, these people. They were doctors and they were very helpful and they were trying to help, but they just didn't understand, and as, as, as nor did I, that, that, that this was an irreversible process. And, and, that, um, and, and then at the end of the, at the, end of the drinking programme, controlled drinking programme, I, um, I was transferred up, up to the other end of the country and I said to them, is there a controlled drinking programme up in Manchester? And... Um, so um, they said, oh, yes, yes. We, we, I said, could I have a number? So they gave me a number. Anyway, I got, got onto them up in Manchester and the phone, person answered the phone. And I said, oh, I believe you run a controlled drinking program up here. He said, no, we don't do that here. He said, if we've got people with, come with a problem with alcoholism, we send them to AA. I said, thank you very much. Because that's not what I wanted. Because I knew that AA meant that there was, there, was, there, was, there was no drinking. And I didn't want no drinking. I wanted controlled drinking. Uh, and it is the, it is the absolute um, uh, desire um, that, that can often be the fatal desire uh, for for an alcoholic to believe that they can somehow learn to uh, control control and enjoy their drinking and drink drink like a gentleman as it talks or a gentlewoman as it talks about in the in the big book. But I know that that is simply not possible. Uh, now, what happens now? I, I, people say to me, "Do you do you think about alcohol?" I don't really. I don't. I, I I've got a, he- a very healthy respect for alcohol. Uh, I don't have a fear of it, but I've got a very healthy respect for it. I don't go to watery places unless I unless there's a very good reason for me to do so. Uh, and um, the other thing is that. Um, if and when I do go, because there's some occasion, because it's a birthday or some sort of celebration or other, I usually find that after about an hour, an hour and a half tops, I, I want to go. And, and, and the reason I want to go is not because I'm tempted by the alcohol, but everybody's making a bloody fool of themselves and I get bored, so I just want to get out into, in, in, into the same world again. So I, I just uh, make my apologies and leave. Um, so I, I, you know, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't. We, I, I live, I live with my two young kids, youngish kids. Well, they're not young anymore, eighteen and thirteen. 
and I don't have alcohol in the house except if there's a need to do so. If we've got people coming round and they want to have a glass of wine, then 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 that, then that's okay. I don't have, I don't have a problem. The only thing is I get bewildered because at the end of the meal they usually leave about a quarter of a glass of wine in the glass and get up from the table and I cannot understand how anybody could possibly be able to do that because it would be on my ken. Anyway, I think I've had enough to say so I will now hand the meeting back to Victoria. Thanks Daniel. Just a reminder you're listening to Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM and this is the Wellington Alcoholics Anonymous meeting on air. If you or someone you know wants to get in contact with AA, you can find us at alcoholicsanonymous.org.nz. There you can find meetings lists of AA meetings all throughout the country. There's also the 0800 number, 0800 AA Works, where you can find a sober alcoholic on the other end of the line 24-7. Right, um, kia ora, I'm Victoria and I'm an alcoholic. Yeah, King Alcohol. Um Completely had me, eh? Just spiritually, mentally, physically. Um, spiritually, because I was so far removed from the person that I was meant to be. Um, I couldn't figure out how to be a good person, you know? Like, I would try and I would. <laughs> I just felt completely. Um, I was just completely mystified at how to act in the right way. I just, I felt like I'd missed the day at school where they taught us how to handle life and cope with things and have relationships um, because I didn't know how to do any of that. Um, And alcohol just made me spiritually bankrupt. I became someone who lied, um, who stole, who cheated on people. Um... It just, yeah, it just completely took, I felt like it just hollowed me out, you know. I felt like my drinking just made me rotten inside. Um, And it was very hard to have relationships because either I would burn bridges or I would be so worried that they were going to find out that I was rotten inside that I would just push them away. Um, It became increasingly hard to talk to my family because I was just so ashamed of myself and I just felt like they, if they knew how I was living, they would be disappointed in me. So it just became, I pretty much cut my family off because it was just too painful to talk to them because I was just living in so much shame. You know, I was just so ashamed of the person I'd become. And um, yeah, mentally it completely had me because I couldn't not drink. I I could only go a couple of weeks um, without drinking. And um, it filled my thoughts and that's the thing that I didn't realize until I came to AA is that the reason why my behavior was just as bad the reason why I hurt people my behavior was just as bad when I wasn't drinking is because I was obsessively thinking about drinking and it's very hard to be considerate of other people when you're just you're checked out you know and um, that was actually some of the worst harms when I made amends I apologized for the tangible stuff, you know, like stealing money, stealing alcohol, um, cheating on people, lying to people, you know, stuff like that. But people, every, almost everyone I spoke to said that wasn't the thing that hurt them most. The thing that hurt them most was that I wasn't there for them. I was unreliable. I didn't show up. I couldn't support them. You know, it was what I didn't do 
that really hurt people. Um, and yeah, physically, um, yeah, I wasn't in a good way. Um, I never, I was never physically dependent on alcohol, so I didn't get the shakes or anything. Um, oh, was I a bit shaky? Probably when I was hungover, but my hangovers were horrific. They were just, you know, people say that young people don't really get bad hangovers, but I, from the minute I started drinking at 15, my hangovers were just horrific, just constant vomiting and unable to even drink water without vomiting it back up and lasting the entire day. Um, so I spent a good chunk of my life physically ill. Like I just was, I just remember feeling nauseous most of the time. <laughs> I don't know how I managed to um, function. I mean, I wasn't a high functioning alcoholic. I really struggled, um, but I don't know how I managed. That program was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.